Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Seven Podcast. I hope you are having a wonderful day. And joining us today is my co-host Micah Current. Micah, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Did you get any storms blowing through uh through your area? Uh no, actually. I mean, we had that I was you know, I work at the university here. Uh Friday, it was like 105, like a heat index of 105. And it was like, it wanted the storm. It felt like it was going to storm. It was like really, really humid, like probably the most humid that I've ever felt. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, no, no storms. Uh, if you want to consider a storm college starting today, the, the fall semester. <laughs> today. Um, my wife's pretty stressed about that, but um, yeah. I start classes again today. Uh, classes, you know, start for undergraduates and yeah. Yeah. One more semester. All right. Wonderful. And also joining us, and no, you're not seeing double today, is Scott Stedman, a.k.a. my dad, joining us. How are you doing today, Mr. Stedman, or dad, no, or whatever you want me to call you? Dr. Stedman. Yes. No, that'll be the other, that'll be the younger Stedman. He'll be a Dr. Yeah. Stedman at some point. So uh, it, going good. We had storms that blew through northeast Ohio. I got... Uh, some trees down and some partially down that eventually got to clean up. But, um, you know, it's a storm. They come through, they, they do what they do. So I just, I just find it fascinating that, you know, being in Northeast Ohio and Micah being in Southwest Ohio and me being in central, how like I had like maybe Thursday was just a torrential downpour, like in the morning and then it stopped and it was all hot and sunny again. Like that's all we got. My brother Lonnie texts me often and that, or calls me. He calls me every couple of days and we talk a lot. But he he often asks me what the what he lives in Akron, the Akron Canyon mm-hmm. area. And he he often texts me and asks me like he's like, did it rain there? And I'm like, no. He's like, it poured here. Or like I'll do vice versa and say, hey, it poured the rain here. And he was like, well, we didn't get nothing. Or like in the winter when you know we get a foot of snow and they don't get anything, or they get a foot of snow and we get rain. So like it's just yeah. uh, it's crazy. Ohio is that big of a state is what I guess I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Very versatile. Mm -hmm. So before we dive into our topic of stewardship today, we want to talk about stories gone wild. Micah, do you have a story to share? Yeah, I do. Um, I I wish it was a better one, but um, I think it kind of relates. I was thinking about, you know, Scott, what do you call it? The... um your vault of stories the yeah my vault okay so i i had to go into the vault for this one but you know considering that we're going to talk about stewardship today um i was working at a church years ago and uh we had an executive pastor on staff and this is a short story so um we we found out that he was embezzling money Mm. and uh he embezzled somewhere around the sum of forty thousand dollars of the church's money and was just putting it on the church credit cards and he was the executive pastor. So therefore he was making all the financial decisions and making sure credit cards were distributed and, you know, this budget, that budget and all this stuff. And so he ended up, um, embezzling $40,000 and, um, and respect stewardship. I don't think that's being a good steward of God's money. Um, so, uh, he ended up resigning and what made it worse was he was the lead pastor's like best friend. Like they had been like lifelong best friends and, um, he resigned from the church and walked away and it was not a pretty, uh, picture. 
uh, yeah. as you can imagine, you know, embezzling 40 grand. So, um, yeah. yeah, maxing out credit cards, using the church's money, all those things. So, um, if you want to know what not to do, kids, <laughs> don't spend $40,000 of the church's money. So, Scott, where, yeah. what do you got this week? So, so occasionally, like, I'll browse through stories, and this isn't a story that's, like, my personal one, which, thank goodness, because I feel like, like, Michael, you probably, I probably shared some videos with you from, like, the Youth Group Chronicle, where they tell all these crazy youth stories. Yes, um, oh, and, my gosh, I think I sent you some, too. They're just, yeah, you, you, we, we sent them. Are they, are they the guys one. that, like, are they on TikTok where they get the stories, and then they Yeah, they get the stories from okay. other people, and they just kind of share them and talk, but there was this one story, and I, it was one I saw yesterday, and I'm just, like, shocked. Like this was even a thing, but I guess it was like people were at a camp and there was like a tire swing or something that went into the creek. So, you know, a couple of guys are swing, swinging, jumping in. I'm like, OK, you know, I'm thinking, oh, the branch is going to break or something crazy is going to happen. Well, I guess a girl goes in, jumps in the water, screams and runs out. And runs to the girl's dormitory or whatever. And they're like, OK, so, you know, he and the guy, the male the the youth pastor's a male so he's like okay what's going on well all of a sudden like some girls are noticing that she has like a incision like right above her belly button and they're like okay let's let's go to the nurse because that's kind of a deep wound like okay did she land on something in the thing they go then a nurse is talking to him and goes hey do you know anything about this they go no it's like well not only does she have the a, a incision above her belly button but she also has two incisions in her back. So she has three puncture wounds around her waist. Come to find out when she was finally able to kind of, I don't know if she was unconscious or what happened, or I guess she got bit by an alligator jumping into the creek. And I'm like, wait, what? An How alligator? Did she get bit by a crocodile or an alligator and then like scream, get up and run. Out of weight with no one else noticing that there was something in the water. Like, that's insane. But I just thought that was crazy. Like, that's probably the craziest thing I heard all week. Um, I I saw, uh, I sent Jordan one, <clears throat> excuse me, over the weekend. And it was of, uh, like a church camp for the summer. It was the same TikTok group, <laughs> uh, Youth Group Chronicles or whatever. But they had, and I don't, don't know if you've seen this, but like the 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 speaker for the week at this church camp brought a goat to camp yes i saw that one. Oh. okay so he he brings a goat to camp and he just lets it run loose during the week and let the kids get used to it and then the very last night he talks about jesus and the sacrifice being the lamb and being the sacrifice and he brings the goat on stage and he sacrifices it on the stage at a church camp <laughs> so um former farm boy dad what do you think about that story yeah boy uh, listen i'm i'm no stranger to um killing animals for food right mm. but there's a difference for that and then to me that is without understanding all the things all the triggers that you could be doing with kids it, not advice there could have been a way you could have done that differently to do it like fake kind of thing but we just want you to remember yeah, the sacrifices. Oh it reminds me, it reminds me when we were at um 
when I was at um when I was with uh, the camp team up at Winter Retreat and uh, Nate uh, Anderson was speaking and he took that like Pooh Bear and cut it in half when he's talking about the uh, covenant between Abraham. But at least it was a stuffed animal. It wasn't like yes, a, yeah, real life, yeah, like yeah. goat. Like we're gonna cut this from like head to foot and chop it like long legs. <laughs> If, if you were in a farm community, you, you probably could have got away with it. But, oh, boy. Yeah. Mm. Traumatized right. kids. Uh, wouldn't be wise. Yep. And, and Dad, since this is a uh, since this is your first time on the podcast, do you have a uh, stories going wild for us? Well, the only thing going wild in my life is just uh, change. Um, my company believes in very long succession plans, which kind of we'll talk a little bit about here in stewardship. But it's difficult um, when, a, when you change a job and you leave a company, you no longer have the same role or duty, you usually go someplace else. So you don't see what happens. But now I've hired my replacement, so I'm no longer CFO. Um, so he now is doing all the roles. I'm teaching him all the nuances of the role here. Um, and all my staff now report to him, not to me. And so that's that kind of that weird area of life. So and it's it's difficult. I mean, I left my office. I had a really big office, and I'm in a kind of like a, a closet, <laughs> uh, not a very big office, which is okay. Um, he's the CFO. He needs that office. He needs that space. Um, and so I step aside and do something different for a while as I continue to mentor him in his new role. That that that's just a little wild and uh, something I'm not used to. And so I'm trying to get used to it, but that's it. So mm, nothing super awesome. crazy, but it's, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, you know, as we start kind of moving towards a discussion on stewardship, I think that's something that um, probably needs to kind of be defined in some ways. Cause like, you know, Mike is talking about stewardship and his thing and kind of talking about money. You're talking about more about mentoring and succession and kind of training and in in some ways both of that's kind of stewardship in its own way so how would how would you define stewardship well stewardship is just um doing things for the benefit of others really i mean that's what you're when, when you're saying you're, you're creating a steward what a steward used to do back in days when the king would have a steward he would kind of watch over and do things on behalf of the king in order to better the king and the better the kingdom. So that's really what stewardship is, is your whatever kind of comes into your area, um, whether it's uh, people or, or money or finances or possessions, you always look to the greater good of, of who you represent. And that's what you do. So in my role as a comp in a company, Okay, we have a term also called fiduciary, right? You do a fiduciary duty, which is the same thing as stewardship. It's just mm -hmm. a different word. But everything you do, you set aside what is your self-interest, what you would normally do, and you do it for the greater good of the company, for the employees. In a church setting, you do it for the other parishioners. You do it for the people you're trying to reach. Your sole goal is to act and lead in a way that you make it a better place for everybody else. Not necessarily what you would like to do for your own comfort, your own preference. So it, it, in the analogy, what uh, 
Mike was saying about a, a, a you know, pastor stealing money. Well, he was doing it for himself. That's selfish. That's not stewardship. Stewardship mm -hmm. is I do this to benefit others. And he was just benefiting himself. Yeah, so. it, it, it kind of reminds me of, um, of the story of Joseph, where, you know, he was kind of mm -hmm. over uh, Potiphar's household. And then yeah. once Potiphar's wife started getting a little shady, started being suspicious, <laughs> like it ran out <laughs> of there. <laughs> it ran out of there. Then it's like, okay, now he's kind of the steward over Pharaoh and kind of, you know, yeah. he's not Pharaoh. He's not making the main decision for the kingdom, but he's was able to interpret Pharaoh's dream and be able to have a plan for succession for not only the Egyptians, but everybody who was living around uh, Egypt at that time, even the Israelites were able to have enough food to try to feed people. So no one starved or died during the famine years. Um, mm -hmm. Well, so and, when we talk about, so when we talk about the I concept of stewardship within like um, a church, or like you're talking about stewardship mm -hmm. within your own business that you're a part of, like, what are some, you mentioned you mentioned that you know it's about the good of everybody. However, I'm also know being in churches that sometimes you can have a pastor who could be great, who could retire or move on and try to set up a plan or set up something or kind of set the ball in motion for the church to kind of move it along to hand it off to the next person who's going to take it over. And sometimes it seems like that ends up failing in some ways in some churches where even as the pastor mm -hmm. kind of leaves, sometimes the ball gets dropped somewhere. So what are some things that you've kind of maybe noticed or seen within your own professional world or even within your church where, you know, what are some things that goes when the ball drops or why, why does that happen? The ball usually drops because it hasn't been a priority. Right. So when I look at uh, our company, right, and we went through a whole culture change. Um, I, I like to say our company is a, a company that, that makes equipment for the steel industry, but we're a virtues company. We're a virtues company, and that's our product. That's our result. So our, our key virtues are, you know, some of the classic ones. And um, they don't have really Christian names, but you could definitely look at um, compassion, which is would be love, right? Love's a virtue. Um, there's courage, okay? And then we talk about justice, okay? Um, wisdom is a virtue. So all these virtues have to be taught because they're not something that people normally get. Or in a recent uh, world, it's, it, it's not taught very often. So it takes a while to, uh, you know, find the right people and then do that. And then it starts at the top, right? All these things, I've, I've lived the whole experience in corporate life where they'd have their, their mottos and, you know, their mission statements. But if the top people don't embrace the mission statement or their cultures or their virtues, and I, I like to say your, your culture, your virtues, if they don't adopt it and live it and demonstrate it, and so it becomes organic and it becomes resident with the majority of the people, then you have no way of that continuing on, right? It, it says, you know, where there is no vision, the people perish, right? To me, that's, that's, a, that's stewardship of, of a community. So 
our goal is to make sure that 90% of the people in our company, because you'll never get 100 people, 100% uh, people on board, but 80 to 90% of the people who understand the culture, believe in the culture, and want to perpetuate the culture. If a pastor does that, and then his time to leave goes, then he's still got a core people that'll do it. Usually what they do is they kind of train them up in two to three years, and then they leave. Well, and when you leave, you haven't really done all the culture work. You haven't really done the stewardship of for that um, for that church, whatever that looks like. Um, now, our local church, a big thing for us is community. So we look at everything that we kind of do. How do we reach the community? How can we engage the community? Now, we don't do it perfect, um, but we have a long history of doing things with a food pantry. Um, we invite people. Um, well, let me back. We used to have a country club mentality. Okay, I used to call it the Christian Country Club, CCC, Christian Country Club. We let people. Oh, I'm a member, so I get special rates. Um, <laughs> you know, I pay my tithe. Okay, oh, that's my dues. I pay my dues, so therefore I should get preferential treatment. I shouldn't have to put a deposit when I need to rent something. Uh, you know, rent out the facility for my own personal use. Um, oh, we, we can't let other people come in. Okay. Uh, this is ours and we're worried about how it's going to get trashed or this or that. No, we're not a country club. We're not a Christian country club. We're supposed to be allowing people provide a service. That doesn't mean you can't charge reasonable fees to help underwrite costs, but, and you have to understand that when you start to do these things, you build that culture is, you know, sometimes things aren't going to work just right. Uh, you know, you know, some people might be smoking outside the door. Oops. So what? So here's here's an idea. Put an you know, put it put an ashtray out there so they don't throw them on the ground, and then you can just move the ashtray. It, but people were, well, oh my gosh, you can't have an ashtray outside the church door. Well, you don't do it there on Sunday morning, but when you have these events, be ready, uh, be cognizant of that. What you're trying to do is build community. You want the community to feel comfortable coming into your building, and when they get comfortable coming in your building, it won't be so foreign. If they have a need and they come back when crisis hits, right? So it's part of that culture. It's one of the things that we really strive to do. And with that, then you also have to think about, okay, how do we set up um, our bylaws? How do we how do we create that culture for the next pastor to come in? Hey, maybe we need to reorganize because this guy's strength isn't here. And so what strength do you need to be? For my role, I, I said as the treasurer of my church, I'm already training somebody to replace me as treasurer. Why? Because you want good continuity. You have good things that you want to teach, good practices that you want to instill on them. So you have to have that transition. And a lot of times people say, mm, I'm done. You know, here's the checkbook, start over. And they have no idea what they're picking up, no idea what to do. So that's what it is. And in our company, it's the same thing. There's the, the guy that I hired was a CFO for another company and is in kind of related industry, but he doesn't understand our culture. He doesn't know what drives our company. Um, what are the things to navigate when you're working with a bunch of engineers and so on? So he needs somebody to walk down that path till he gets comfortable with the path, knows, oh, here's that pot. Oh, here's that thing. Don't stumble over this, right? If you don't have somebody leading, and that's part of being a good steward, right? 
you take the time to help this guy move through to make it easier to help him assimilate, to help him thrive in his role. And you know what? And he may have some good ideas, but I'm not going to require him to keep doing the things. I What worked for me worked for me. I'm not going to require that to do that. As long as he has the culture and our virtues in mind, every anything else he does doesn't matter, right? Because mm-hmm. as long as he's doing, he's in within the in the boundaries of our culture, then all the things that he does, new, new things he might implement, ways he might change to do something. Oh my gosh, you want to do something different? Let's talk about church. Oh, you want to reorder how we do worship? Oh no. No, we always have uh, three songs and then we do a prayer and, and then we take offering and then, the, and, oh, you, you want to start off with a sermon and then have songs later. You see, you have to open it up to allow people to be able to change, but you've got to keep the primary thing. What is your culture? What are you doing? That's the key. Do that first and everything else kind of falls into place. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and so there's a couple, couple of key points that I'm, I'm pulling from this is, you know, when you talk about this idea of stewardship and kind of, you know, the succession plans in some ways, mm-hmm. um, it, it's everybody has to be on board. Everybody has to kind of be on board with the mission or at least with kind of some of your core values, because I feel mm-hmm. like what you're kind of saying is sometimes it's not necessarily the mission and it could be sometimes the mission can drive the values, but really it's almost the values kind yes. of drives the mission as well. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is fascinating is the idea that, um, is that, you know, as long as people are trying and people are going, like, you know, you may not do everything perfectly, but at least if you're still believing and living out your mission and your values, then people are going to take notice of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it and I think kind of one of the challenges I think with churches and Micah, you can, you can step in and agree or disagree is that, you know, churches will say, we want to reach out to the community. Churches want to have like an AA or an NA or an SA group come into the church or like the scouts or Zumba or whatever, right. Come into the church. And then you get those opportunities where people are coming into the church and it's almost like once that happens, it's like, Oh, but they didn't put their chairs back after meeting. Oh, they, 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 you know, someone didn't flush the toilet or, you know, or the cigarette butts, the cigarette butts are our outside and we have to pick them up. And it's almost like the, it's almost like, um, trying to get people into the doors of the church and trying to get them used to the church and kind of build some type of familiarity or comfortability with being in a church kind of runs against the grain with them trying to get people to understand who Jesus is and have a relationship with Jesus. And I think a lot of times when you have people who are smoking and dropping their cigarette butts out. They're like, well, how come they're doing that? They're in a church. They should have some more respect. They should, you know, because, you know, Jesus wouldn't act like this or whatnot. And it's like, you have to kind of almost train people. Hey, these people don't probably don't know who Jesus is, or maybe they do, but they've had a bad experience at church. So by not getting so caught up on the butts, um, both figuratively and literally, 
on the ground. Like we need to, you know, love them like G- do Jesus. And then you have some people go, well, yeah, right. but we got to preach the gospel to them. If they don't change, then blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's like a whole different, like, it's almost like subcultures in some way where you want people to come mm-hmm. in, but then there's also this other subculture that's kind of conflicting with disconnect. that. So, what was that? I also feel like there's a disconnect. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm pastoring this church and we have an amazing facility and we're going to open it up to the community to, community to, to um, you know, do like what you said, Scott, whether it's like, I don't know, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, uh, American Heritage Girls, Upward Basketball, whatever it may be, right? But there's still a disconnect. They're using our church, and yes, it's community outreach, but are we really partnering with them for the gospel? Are we really getting to know them? Like as Jeanette said in our episode with her a couple of weeks ago, are you really getting to know your neighbor? How about the mm-hmm. people that are actually using your facility? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're smoking cigarettes. Maybe they're, you know, not doing the greatest, you know, using the greatest language. Maybe they're... uh different than us maybe they don't dress the way we do maybe they don't look the way we do however mm-hmm. that's not you know what we're called to do we're called to love them and i think yeah. there's this huge disconnect and we we do a huge disservice to the church you know use the illustration you know like what, what if you're walking into your church and these people are just standing outside this building like you guys are both saying we don't even acknowledge them we just go into the church right like, I, I feel like that happens more times than not. And then, you know, to piggyback with the, the, the disconnect conversation, like, I just don't feel like people connect with uh, people that are using the facility. And that's, a, that's an opportunity for us to grow the church and the kingdom of God at the same time. But it just feels like, oh, we're collecting a paycheck because they're using our facility. Yeah. yeah. And I, and, yeah. and I also think that, um, oh, geez, I, I, it's. It, I think the other thing too with that subculture, kind of that disconnect, is by opening your doors to other groups coming into churches, almost like this expectation that oh, because people are coming into the church for like Girl Scouts or American Heritage Girls, that that's going to equate to these people going to start coming on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And then when they don't, then you have people going, well, why are do we even have our doors open to these people if they're not going to come and attend worship with us on Sunday morning? And sometimes when I hear that, my pushback's like, well, how come you're not coming to experience or come to upwards basketball and support or just come watch the games or come talk to people and families that are there or opening up the door and greet people who are coming into the upwards basketball? Like, because, I mean, if if they expect that it's just going to be the pastor or the elders doing all that, I mean, we have to remember that a lot of churches, the way they are designed, is not just necessarily like, okay, well, the pastor's in charge, the pastor leads everything, the pastor does everything. Um, Sometimes I think people have that mentality, but really it's the congregation or some churches, it's congregational run, but they expect one or two people to do all the stuff for, which goes back to that country club mentality. You know, it's not that I'm I'm giving my tithes and offerings to better the kingdom and to advance the kingdom further in our community and through this church. Um, it's I'm paying my dues and paying your salary. So you got to do what I say, or I just stop paying my uh, dues and I stop paying your salary. So what this says to me is if you have a pastor doing or small group of people doing it, 80% of your people aren't engaged. So you don't really have that culture set, right? So Mm -hmm. what you have to do is create that thing. So let's say, um, we opened up our uh, church and have a, a lady that specializes in doing 
play dates for preschoolers. Okay. So she started into our church. So one of the way, okay. So who's going to be contact? Who's going to interface? Are we going to have our people use her services? How do we get that in there? Um, I went and put on my Santa Claus suit. And when she first started up last year, I went for a week, you know, for two days and played Santa Claus for her. So I could meet the people. People get familiar. A lot of families come in. Then you have an opportunity to show your church in the best light and say, oh, yeah, Santa Claus, he does attend this church. They're, they're involved, right? So when people feel that, okay, whether it's Girl Scouts or something like that, somebody there, open the door for them, greet them, say, yes, I'm here. Hey, do you need anything while you're here? Right. You don't have to necessarily participate in the Girl Scout meeting, but you're there and you you shut the door for them. You I mean you just be a good host, right? That's all part of culture. In our company, if 80% of the people don't feel like they're valued and considered from the executives all the way through the shop floor, uh, to the secretaries, to the clerical people, listen, if they aren't feeling that they're part of the company and are valued and that what they're doing is valued, why would they stay? I mean, that's what everybody, that's what people hope to have. And the same thing, you have to let people in. And here's the other thing most churches don't grow is you, you want to grow. You want to reach the community. When these people start coming in the community, they want to serve, right? If if we're doing our job right, if we're discipling them, oh, it's about service, okay? You serve other people. That's at the heart of Christianity. Oh, but you haven't been here long enough to serve. Or you don't have somebody that you, or, hey, they want to do something a little bit different. Oh, no, we don't do it that way here. You know, if people don't feel like they are invested in what they're doing and don't feel like they're a part of something and valued, why would they stay around? Would you stay around? No. And it's not the pastor's responsibility. It's the parishioners. And a lot of times we talk about stewardship and, you know, we have a, a stewardship sermon. Okay. Talks about you should give tithe. Right. No, it's 100 percent. Christ just didn't worry about giving money. He gave his whole life. Right. So that's the thing we do. So part of that stewardship is creating that culture. The other thing I would say about creating culture is we got to stay out of our own way. Right. It's the Holy Spirit that touches people's heart, people's hearts. It's not Scott, whatever, you know, it's not me using logic or skill or talking to them up. No. But the problem I think that we have and one of the major things we do in stewardship is we don't know how to get out of the way and let God do what he does. OK. And do what we do. Right. We're supposed to love people. And when we do that and we reflect God, then you open up the door for the Holy Spirit. Too many times we shut that down. Right. So also being a good steward is knowing what you're good at and knowing what you're not good at or what you're not supposed to be doing. So sometimes we just need to just shut up, love on people and not criticize, not condemn, accept them to where they are and let God do the work instead of us trying to legislate how it should be done. And that's that's the thing I've been learning over the last five years. When to shut up and allow God to move and me not to necessarily have to try to, to make that move for God. So, hmm. yeah. And I think it just kind of that idea of just taking a step back or just shutting up and allowing God <laughs> to lead. 
I feel like that's kind of a very tricky part with, especially when we get to either past pastors and ministry. And I think Micah, you and I had this conversation. I don't know if we had it like live on the podcast or if it was just in before an episode, but you know, and, and dad, you may even recognize this, but you know, how long have you been a CFO? Not there at, at the company you're at now, but just oh, years, years, years. years yeah. So when you finally retire in all your identity, or at least your working identity has been in being a financial advisor, CFO, et cetera. Yeah. Like, what do you do? And I think a lot of times when you have pastors who retire or even pastors who've been at a church, let's say for longer than, you know, the average, which is like three years for lead pastors. Mm -hmm. um, And then you're leaving, whether you feel God has called you, whether you're retiring, whatever the case may be, like part of your identity has been not only connected to being a pastor, but being a pastor of this specific community and the fact that you now have to get up and leave the table in some ways Mm -hmm. is very hard, which I think is why when we have some churches, I think of one of my pastor buddies right now where the pastor retired, he showed up and the pastor is still attending church there, the former one and didn't like how things were going and kind of created a, uh, kind of created a coup and kind of created a, messy situation and i think that was kind of a a big thing um that kind of really i but i think in some ways just knowing that situation it wasn't necessarily that ruined kind of the progression of the church it was kind of already fractured anyway that just kind of you know cracked the egg deeper um so i guess the idea is like especially with those in ministry whether they're youth pastors or lead pastors when it's time for you to go or when it's, you know, when God's calling you to go do something else, you know, it's not important to kind of help, you know, set things up for a smooth transition to whoever the next pastor's being or back to the congregation and the elder board as they're going through the search process. Um, but it's also kind of that my idea to, you know, do you just have to kind of, you know, to use a Christian cliche, let go and let God, like, I know your identity has been in there. And I think, is there any tools or anything that leaders can do to kind of set them up for that success in that succession or transitioning phase where we don't allow the power trips and the egos get in the way? (laughs) Boy, that is so easy at at the heart of our virtues. And I'm blessed to have um, a management team. Not, Not everybody is, a Christian uh, or churchgoer or however you want to define it. But um, a lot of them have that background. And so it's easy when you say, okay, we're going to design these virtues and we're going to lead the way that we see biblically you should lead. Now, how do you do that in a, uh, a secular type of organization? Well, it starts about I'm not everything. It's not about me. See, when people do that, it's a, so when I look at, okay, I'm letting the new CFO come in. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about making him successful. See, that's the thing. When you reward the behavior and things like that to say, hey, 
how you're viewed in an organization is how well you serve others. That changes the dynamic. It's not about, oh, look at me, right? Which is, I was a lot like that back in my, you know, 30s, probably even in my 40s. It, it was about me building what, um, how I was viewed. And now it's like, no, no, I have to do things so that everybody else looks good. That's my role. If I'm leading, then I sacrifice my ego or my pride or my identity. Okay. You know, too many people haven't allowed their identity to be crucified. Mm -hmm. um, they, they keep that. And that's where it comes in. And that's where that comes from. If your goal is to make sure that local congregation succeeds as a pastor and you start to step aside, you should expect things are going to change. That's one thing you can always tell it that I can guarantee you one thing in life, and that is things change, cultures change, things evolve. You have to allow the people, you can coach, you can help them avoid, you know, big landmines and coach from the sides, but don't do it publicly, do it together. And if it's getting too much for you and you think the change is going too fast, and then your only choice is to leave and allow them to do what they need to do. At, at some point, that's the thing. Yeah, you know, look at the disciples when they're saying, hey, who's going to be, who's going to be sit at your right hand, your left hand? <laughs> and what Christ rebuked them. So that, you have it all backwards. It's not about who is exalted here. It's about who serves here. And once you get that mentality um, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a business owner, whatever, your job is to serve others. Okay. Um, a lot of people say yeah, they don't like to bring in uh, church, you know, business terms into the church, but where's your customer service? All right. Where, who's your customer? Oh, well, they're not customers. Uh, I get that. But what you're trying to do is you want to create an environment where God can reach their heart. And how do you do that? You love on people. You accept them where they are, knowing that, hey, we're all sinners saved by grace. We all struggle with things. We just, in the church, have learned better ways of hiding it from others, right? Um, but the reality is, you run in a hospital for sick people. Think about that and say, hey, sick people are going to be coming in here and we need to help triage. We need to make them comfortable. And then we have got to let the healer, heal them. All we have to do is, you know, we're like a nurse. We're not the doctor. We have to help assist, you know, take temperatures, whatever. But it's not about us. Um, it, that, but that's very hard to do because at the heart of our of our brokenness is we want to be God, right? That's, mm. that's the whole thing. It's got to be all about me. No, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about others. And that's at the heart of stewardship. Let's talk about money, okay? People who don't want to give money to support organizations and they want to consume 100% on themselves, they're not doing something for others. So at the heart of, I think, the tithe and the stewardship of why God did it, 10% isn't, I mean, 20% would be harder, right? But, you know, 10%, it's, it's doable, but it still is a sacrifice because I'm not spending things for myself. So when you give money away, that's the best way of not being selfish, right? So you sacrifice that 10% and think about it. 
God sacrificed. He showed that you sacrificed. You sacrifice for the betterment of other people, whether that's your church or if you help support other organizations, whatever it is. So at the heart of giving money away is so I don't I don't have that greedy mindset. I have a pattern. OK, I it's important to be generous for my own well-being. Once you recognize it, then it becomes a little bit easier to, to give your time, your give of your talents, give of your resources. See, that's what stewards. So all three of those have to be done. One without the other. I've seen some people will write a check, but they don't want to be involved. Well, then you're, you're not being a good steward because it takes everything, okay? Your whole being, all those areas that you need to be able to say, it's not all about me. I don't divide all my time to myself. I devote some of my time, some of my talents, some of my expertise, some of my resources. It's about giving all that. And that's that's at the heart. Once you start doing that and you start preaching that in a local church and people start seeing that, that's what God honors. Okay. I don't believe in prosperity religion, but I do believe this, that if you're God honoring and he sees that you're willing to sacrifice your time, your resources, your talents, everything else, and you're willing to devote that, that's a place that he says, I can use people like that. And then he comes up and multiples, multiplies that and then use it because he can trust you that you're going to do the right thing. God won't bless people he don't trust. So at the heart of prosperity religion, it's about, ooh, if I do this, I get this. God is a slot machine, right? Mm-hmm. I put something in, I'm getting something out, right? I'm get, I put a little in, I get, I get more out. No, you're supposed to give a little in and see what God does that. And as he gives you more, oh, that, okay, as God increases, oh, boy, I get to give more, right? That's the mindset. It's prosperity gospel has it backwards. But I'm saying that it even says, you know, if you're faithful in the small things, God will be more than faithful to you in the larger things. Well, I think that speaks volume. So at the heart of being that good steward is God honors and blesses people he can trust to do the things and to handle the things that he puts in your way. And he, he gives you a ministry. Okay. He gives you resources. He puts people in your life that you can pour into. He won't give you any of that if he can't trust you with that. So does that help understand? I mean, that's really what I think is at the heart of it. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Micah, did you have anything like to add? No, I mean, like it's. Well, I mean, I do. I think that it's interesting the whole, uh, you know, the conversation about transitions, uh, specifically in ministry, and you know, you're you're going through one, you know, mm-hmm. as we speak. You know, you're you're kind of phasing out of one role into another. You're mentoring people, um, and I always find it. I don't know if it's more of a question or a comment, but I think it's amazing that the church doesn't do a better job of mentoring people. Like, especially if you're in mm-hmm. it, you're, you're blessed to be in a long-term situation uh, in reference to, you know, a career. Um, very rarely do I know pastors that stay in roles, you know, longer than a decade, a decade at the most. And we're talking like five years or less. Uh, and a mm-hmm. couple of weeks ago we had uh, Jeanette Flynn on and she said the average 
you know, stay of a pastor, a lead pastor is three years. And I think it says it's 18 months, which is less than two years, um, which is just crazy when you think about um, where I work currently, we're going through kind of a transition as well. I work in a dean's office for one of the colleges and uh, at Miami. And uh, it was kind of a weird situation because our, our dean was selected to be the interim provost of the university. And then we literally just slid all of our staff over and our associate dean became the interim dean. And he's, he's in that role. He's been in that role over a year and he's going to um, stay in that role till we hire another dean, which we're in the process of doing. But the, it's amazing to me how long. Um, so two things. One, I think it's amazing how, how long it can take a church to hire a new pastor and it seems like it can take a church just as long to hire a pastor as they would stay like the same length of time. Right. And then also uh, in my situation, my current work situation, like why is this taking so long? Right. Like it seems like it would be a quicker process than that. And by the time it's all said and done, it'll be almost two years. Um, and I, and I, I know that was by design, but there are other, um, you know, higher roles within within the university that get hired quicker than the role that I'm, you know, pursuing. I'm on the search team too for that position. Um, I don't know if that was even a question, but or more of a thought. But I think it's interesting that um, we just don't do a better job of mentoring. And then on top of that, Scott, like you mentioned earlier, the idea that if you or I were in a in the church, for example, let's just say we were there at you know five seven you know, nine years and we transition out. We feel like the Lord's calling us somewhere else. We take on a new role. We literally just write the book. This is what we've done during our time this year, or I'm sorry, during our time at this church, we hand it to the next guy or gal. And they could basically just light it on fire and say, screw it. We're just going to do it our way. I don't know if that's a good way to handle it or not, but in your situation, um, I think that there, there is definitely benefits, for, you know, to mentoring folks um, and to walking mm-hmm. alongside them. But I guess okay. So here's my question. That was my little sermon. <laughs> here's my question. Um, get a couple pastors in the room and you preach a sermon. Um, here's you know, uh, here's a thought. Like, what's the balance like as you're transitioning out and getting ready to retire? And how much do you mentor? And how much do you not press? But like, you're like you know what, I'm just going to sit back and let this this person do this because it's their job now. Do you just sit back and let them do that? Let them kind of drown a little bit? And then when they come to you and ask the questions, it's like, how does that work? So two things that I, I think I hear that I want to address. One, uh, let, let me first comment on pastoral turnover, okay? Mm-hmm. Pastors, okay, they're not Catholic priests. They do not take a vow of poverty. You need to pay your pastors. You need to, and again, what my benchmark, what I try to do at our local church is I kind of lead this, um, is they shouldn't be the poorest person in your congregation. They shouldn't be the richest. But you look at around your congregation and says, where are they? They should be compensated about where the median or the average person that congregation is. Okay. And... It's not just about pay. 
And then they need to feel like they're honored and respected, not just ran to every time there's a problem and bring those them down. Listen, pastors have a tough row. They're always there for you. Okay. When was the last time outside of October, pastor appreciate, when was the last time you dropped them a note? When was the last time you encouraged them? If you don't have an encouraging culture that wants to uh, encourage the pastor or other people, you're going to have turnover. Our church has very low turnover when it comes to pastors. I think the average um, life of a pastor at our church is 15 years. Okay. Mm -hmm. We have an associate that's been there for over 25 years. Okay. Now that's abnormal. I know that sometimes God calls people away. I get that. But the other thing is sometimes I think pastors get called away because they get burnt out. One of the things we instrumented is every seven years, a pastor has to take a 90 day sabbatical has to, it's not a given. It's not an option. If you're going to be our pastor long-term, Every seven years, you will take a 90-day sabbatical. And then the church does the preaching, does the teaching, does the visitation. And you make, and then you also <clears throat> provide the resources <clears throat> for them. People go, why? Because it's a tough job. It's a job that gets burnt out. A lot of times pastors will transition from job to job just because they're getting burnt out. And then they get the honeymoon effect at the next job. So how do you do that? You create that culture where you value, you appreciate, you affirm, and then you show up tangibly by compensating them. And by the way, and then you give them an extended period of time where they can go out, listen to God, get renewed, get rejuvenated, and get their batteries charged so they're not constantly burnt out. So that's, I'll get off my soapbox when it comes to pastors. Now I have a heart for pastors you know, if that hasn't come through. And I believe that you have to, Work and help them and do whatever you can to support them. It's a hard, thankless job. I couldn't do it. No way. Um, I, when my son said he was going to become a pastor, I thought, oh, don't do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean, uh, to a point, but I did. But then, then yes, you do what God says you to do. But you think about the hardship of what he was going to go through. So mm -hmm. that's hard. So now let's answer the other the other thing. Uh, how much? Well, it's as much as he wants or doesn't want, right? It's not about what I want to do. I don't throw him in and say sink or swim. I'm here. I coach. I show him how we do things. But once I go through this, I've already said it. Okay, It's only been two weeks. I must have said it at least a dozen times. This is the way we do it. This is how it works. If you have a better idea. If you think there's a different way that there's some things you need to change, if you have a better idea or you or to make it easier for you, change it. Okay. Um, all I ask is that you kind of communicate to me so I can, so when things do change and if something you do change unforeseen, because there's always unintended consequences, something might blow up, just keep me in the loop. So I know what's going on. It's not about, you have to get my permission. It's not about permission. It's just, I need to, we need to communicate. We have a, a very open communication style. We, we don't like to have a whole lot of barriers from people coming in, you know, kind of help leave a flat, kind of a flat organization. But the thing of it is, is he's full able to change everything. Now, 
it's not wise to go and change everything. We have key vendors that we don't like. You just don't want to change your bank overnight. That's a big deal um, in the accounting world or, or change who you have healthcare with or benefits mm-hmm. because, okay, why? Well, that affects all our, our people, right? And we want to make sure that, you know, we have temperance. That's another thing, all right? Be modest yeah. in what you do. You have temperance, okay? And you you want justice. You want things. You want trust, right? So if you come in and start changing things too fast, people get nervous because people don't like change. So you have to kind of earn the trust before, you know, nobody's going to lead somebody. They, they don't have any confidence, okay, mm-hmm. right? So my goal is to help him come in, build his confidence, and help him to build confidence with others in him so that the, eventually when I leave here, I won't even be missed. That's the goal. Now, people like to think, well, when I walk up the door, the place is going to fall apart. And well, <laughs> that, that, That's your ego. That, that is yeah. not stewardship. That is not doing. Listen, how is that serving the 180 families that we employ? When if I walk out and the whole place falls down, what have I done? I've just put 180 families at risk. Yeah. Is that Christ-like? No. Christ-like is I leave and I leave it so well that I'm not even missed. And the next guy thrives and increases and, and does a better job than what I than what I had inherited. That's what makes you, that's what you should look back on and to be prideful of. Just, wow, I finished well in that position. Look how well that that company that I love, I've worked hard of, it's mm-hmm. thriving after I leave. Wow, isn't that a testament that it, it works without you being there? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think those is a lot of great stuff, a lot of great stuff to process. And so, again, thank you for being on the show. Thank you guys for having me. If you ever need me to go on and on, I can do a meditation, right? Scott? Yeah, no, we don't need to do that. We've already, I've already been doing <laughs> one minute of one of your meditations, <laughs> but anyway, uh, but anyway, Fred, thank you so much for listening to the Scott seven podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend and we'll be back on next yep. week with a new episode. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye.